we're going to do something a little bit different for the beginning of the sermon this morning. Um, I was talking to Justin about his thoughts on this text. He did some meditation and, and preparation before um, learning that he needed to, um, to be absent this morning. So um, one thing that he recommended was that we start with this song that we're going to hear. Um, so we're just going to spend, I'm going to read scripture first, and then we're just going to spend, it's like three minutes listening to this song. And it's a strange song, but it'll make sense <laughs> during the rest of the sermon. Um, so first I'm going to read scripture. This comes from Psalm 128. A song of ascents. Blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. You will eat the fruit of your labor. Blessings and prosperity will be yours. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Yes, this will be the blessing for the man who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. Thank you. 
costs and the government there expects as many as one and a half million refugees, nearly double the previous estimates. North Korea has tested its fifth nuclear weapon. It's as strong as one yet, but as these things go, if there's a small bomb less power than the one that destroyed Hiroshima in World War II. Law enforcement sprayed demonstrators with powerful blasts of water. Police say demonstrators set fire to try to storm past their roadblock. But protesters accused police of dangerous tactics, not just the spraying, but firing gust grenades, rubber bullets, and injuring hundreds of demonstrators. The videos that we've seen are disturbing. We have two police officers on top of Mr. Sterling, and he is shot at point-blank range. Reporting live from Paris, David Arnold, ABC7 Eyewitness News. It's Lent. Not Advent. So I know it may seem strange that we listen to a version of Silent Night. But there's something about this version of Silent Night that seems much more Lent than Advent. What you just heard is a song called Silent Night slash 7 O'Clock News. It's by a band called Penny and Sparrow. And it's an updated version of um, a song that Simon and Garfunkel did um, decades ago, in which the verses of Silent Night, which proclaim a peace coming over the world, a stillness and rest in God at the incarnation of Jesus Christ, a heavenly peace that covers our sleeping and our waking, those verses are overlaid with headlines from the 7 o'clock news, which tell of murder, disease, displacement, genocide, and pains and horrors of every sort imaginable. So what naivety does it take to believe in a silent night when the tales of sin and pain ring so loudly in the ears of all who are paying attention? What naivety does it take to call oneself blessed in a world that is so cursed? What naivety does it take to say blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him, when it is so often the innocent and the blameless who suffer for the sins of the guilty. It is exactly the naivety of Lent. Lent has in one ear the blessing of God, as we hear it clear as day in this psalm, and in the other ear Lent has the seven o'clock news, a keen awareness that many who are obedient, who walk in the ways of the Lord, are not blessed in the least. And yet here we are, gathering together to read a psalm of blessing. So what, what do we make of this? How can we receive a blessing or give a blessing without that sinking feeling that we're lying to ourselves and to everyone around us? I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come across songs that are too optimistic, especially Christian songs that just feel too happy, I can't connect with them. Sometimes I feel the same way about psalms like the one we've just read together. Because something about it feels like off. It just feels like anyone that happy isn't actually paying attention and isn't actually looking closely enough. They've turned off their notifications and they've muted the 7 o'clock news. But ignoring the pain and harm of the world while it might make you feel better... It doesn't make it go away. I usually feel like it's better to be sad and aware 
than blissful and ignorant. So how does someone like me, or maybe if you relate to that, someone like you, read this blessing? How do we read this psalm? I think that what we'll find here is wisdom for learning to flourish on the way to Jerusalem, to the holy city. As we've been in our series on Psalms of Ascent, we've talked about how these are songs that Israel sings on its journey to Jerusalem, to the holy city for feasts and for worship. But on the way there, they're in the desolate wasteland. They don't see a holy, magnificent city. And we can learn to sing songs about the holy city, proclaim its goodness, even as we remain miles away. Everywhere around us is a desolate wasteland. So to do that, I want to talk a little bit about blessings. Blessings are funny things. In a certain light, a blessing can read as a false promise. We read in Deuteronomy that as Israel enters the promised land and the Lord blesses them and says, you will live long in the land, we know that they didn't live long in the land. It was just a few cycles of the Israelite kingdom before everything fell apart. And blessings that we tell each other nowadays, like everything's going to work out, everything happens for a reason, there's something better in store, these tend to be nothing more than empty promises designed to kind of give us false hope in a difficult season. Which, false hope has its own merits, it does keep you going, but it is sometimes false. Sometimes things don't work that way. Reading this blessing in Psalm 128 may not feel very different from those empty promises at first. It says, blessed are all who fear the Lord, who walk in obedience to him. Really? Because things don't work out like that for some of us. When I was talking to Justin about his thoughts on this psalm, the main thing that he had taken away from it was, some things don't work like that sometimes. And, and that was kind of where he sent me off. It's like, okay, <laughs> figure it out. It's true, some things don't work like that sometimes. Sometimes a life that is faithful is, is a life that is short. And I don't know what to do with that. But I think that this blessing is doing something different than giving an empty promise. After all, most ancient Israelites who sang this blessing throughout history were under no delusion that blessings and prosperity would be theirs. Life was hard, constantly under the thumb of empire and famine and sword. They were very aware of some of the things that we have lost sight of. Old Testament scholar Ellen Davis says that Blessing is always acknowledging the power and worth of another. A blessing is the relational medium of exchange for ancient Israel. It's the way that God or a person validates the life and worth and work of another. In some cases, without a blessing, a person is without purpose or belonging. Blessings Pull someone into the community's network of value and meaning. Through God's grace, Israel has a gift of purpose, cosmic protection, and meaning. And a blessing is how one Israelite says to another, what you're doing 
and the person you are is worthy of this gift that we've received. It's how God says to Israel, you are worth all the love and grace I am pouring out. It's how Israel says to God, you are worth all the uncertainty, trust, and sacrifice that you're asking from us. Blessings are the ultimate form of validation for ancient Israel. That's why if you remember from your Sunday school lessons, in Genesis 27, Jacob was willing to betray his brother and trick his father just to receive a blessing, even if it was intended for someone else, even if it was intended for Esau. The validation and power of this blessing was that powerful. Later on in that story, Jacob runs away from home and, and, and wrestles with God, this man, God in the flesh. Jacob wrestles with God all night. And in Genesis 32, it says that the man was wrestling with Jacob all night and Jacob would not let him go. The man asked him to let him go, but Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This moment is what got Jacob's name changed to Israel, which means wrestles with God in Hebrew. Israel wasn't just wrestling with God out of stubbornness or rebellion or covenantal failure, even though all of that would come. Israel was wrestling with God for God's blessing. The acknowledgement of dignity and value that comes through a blessing is worth fighting for. Sometimes these Old Testament blessings, these validations, come with a promise. They may say things like, everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree and no one will make them afraid. I don't remember if that's from the Bible or from Hamlet. Hamilton? Say Hamlet. Hamilton? (laughs) But it's somewhere. Or as this psalm that we're reading today says, May the Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you live to see your children's children. Peace be on Israel. And when blessings promise things like this, it's deeper than the empty promises like it'll all work out in the end that we tell each other. It's deeper than, you know, when Trekkies say, what is it, live long and prosper. I'm not going to say anything else about Star Trek because... I don't know anything else about Star Trek. (laughs) These blessings are an acknowledgement of the way things ought to be. It's a proclamation of the way the world should be when it's put right. When God blesses a human with the promise of care for their basic needs, it's an affirmation that they should have the things they need to flourish and thrive. It's an expression that the grace and love of God is supposed to extend not just to their spiritual salvation, but to their whole person. When God blesses, it's a validation of every need we have as human beings and a proclamation that by God's grace, we deserve for those needs to be met. Sometimes these promises have a bit of an edge to them. For example, Instead of, may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life, you sometimes see, all who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. That's from Isaiah 41. Sometimes blessings whisper, 
and imagine about what life could be like in the world as God longs for it to be. But sometimes blessings look straight at the injustice and the pain from the 7 o'clock news and condemn it to hell with fury. But whatever the method, these blessings are not ignoring the 7 o'clock news. They're dialed into it. It's dangerous to read these blessings without reading the 7 o'clock news. Because you might read this blessing about eating the fruit of your labor and living long with your grandchildren, and you might convince yourself to be a good employee, loyal and hardworking, no matter what your employer asks of you. But if you pay attention to the condition of the world, to the 7 o'clock news, you might learn of unjust practices, corporate greed, environmental deterioration, and the cutting of employee wages and pensions, and that should make you question things. There's more to the picture than work hard, retire, and eat the fruit of your labor. These blessings are keenly aware of that, and they invite us to be aware of that too. And these blessings and all their promises extend not only to the whole person, as we've discussed, their living and their working conditions, but also to the land that they live on. God's blessing and God's grace is for you and your fig tree, for Eve and her garden. Ellen Davis writes, Blessing, as the biblical writers conceive it, is a kind of ecological phenomenon. It connects God and the creatures in a complex of interlocking relationships. It's a way of pulling all of creation into the community of the triune God that has existed for all time. Now, none of us need to be convinced that the things promised in blessings don't always pan out the way that they're proclaimed. No one in this room would read Psalm 128 and cancel their life insurance policy expecting to live a long time. We know that things are more complicated than this. Blessings aren't wishes that we cross our fingers and hope will come true. They're testimonies reminding of us, reminding us of the way the world ought to be. It's almost like a truing up of our compass, the direction that we're headed as people of God. Blessings are not guarantees. And furthermore, blessings aren't universal. This seems so strange on the one hand, because we believe in a God who loves and is rescuing everyone everywhere. Right? The blood of Christ falls on everyone. We believe in a God who loves and is rescuing every tribe and tongue and nation. And yet, as you may have picked up on when we read Psalm 128, this blessing is not for everyone. It's very clearly for a specific subset of ancient Israelite men. Men who are connected to the city of Jerusalem. Men who have wives and children, but aren't yet at the age to be grandparents. Who are young and able-bodied enough to labor in fields and eat the fruit of their labor. This blessing isn't for everyone around the world. It's not even for everyone in Israel, which is really strange and bizarre. And in that way, it can seem like an exclusive blessing one designed to draw boundaries of who is and isn't validated and affirmed. And it's been read that way. Perhaps you read this and, and other psalms that mention families and children and thought, am I not blessed as a single person? Am I not blessed as someone who hasn't had a child? 
Or am I not blessed as someone whose family looks different than this? And yet I think that's the opposite of what this blessing is designed to do. God blesses in particular in order to bless in general. Blessings like this are always particular. God doesn't love in general. God loves in particular. You, Abraham. You, Sarah. This vine. That fig tree. Perhaps the most central theme of the Old Testament is that God is blessing a family in particular in order to bless the whole world. It was, after all, the particular empty womb of Sarah into which God brought forth life, promising to make a nation, a nation of priests that would itself be God's blessing to the world and through which God would restore all creation. And and this sounds like a grand cosmic story, and it is, but really, it was quite ordinary. It was in the region of Haran on an ordinary day. Abram had recently lost his father. He and his wife were getting on in years. They hadn't been able to conceive children. Each day was getting harder than the last. Even though Abraham was a relatively wealthy man, it seemed like the end of the road for his family. And then there was an encounter. Abram heard a voice, a voice that only said 26 words, which in English we translate like this. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. The particular family of Abram and Sarai would be the means through which God would envelop the whole world in in God's redeeming love. Just 26 ordinary words spoken to an ordinary person on an ordinary day. And yet in those 26 words, something cosmic and eternal was unfolding. God didn't plan to redeem the world through a grand spiritual battle or a cataclysmic display of force. Instead, God planned to redeem the world with a family, an ordinary family, but one that had the blessing of God. That family would go on to wrestle with God, but would not let go until God blessed them. For generations they wrestled, until a new family took shape, a young woman from Palestine. And if Sarah was pregnant too late for society's norms, Mary was pregnant too early. But still she knew that future generations will call me blessed. She had the validation of God, and so did her little baby. Even if he was just one person, nothing special, she knew he would bless the world. And in the grace that was flowing through that baby, the world would be put back together. The seven o'clock news would fade out, and the news of the gospel would fade in. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The blessing has reached all of us 
everyone all over the world, is covered by the blessing of an ordinary family. And now all of us, no matter your gender, age, or family situation, can read this blessing and hold it close, knowing that God is validating us in it and proclaiming the way the world ought to be. So even while we tune into the 7 o'clock news, we pray for justice and peace. We pay attention to the living conditions and working conditions of vulnerable people. And we also receive this blessing. And in turn, we bless the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace through which you have blessed the world. We thank you for the gift of an ordinary family that by your strength and by, and by your grace reverse the entropy of pain and sin that was so overwhelming. We thank you for Jesus Christ who stood in the place of the seven o'clock news who is restoring and healing and putting things to right. We pray that as we receive this blessing and rejoice in this blessing, we will become a blessing to the world around us in whatever ways you call us to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.